I'm Marsha. And I'm Abby. And welcome to Teacher Terror, a podcast where two elementary school teachers discuss and rate horror movies. Each episode will have a specific theme, and our homework is to bring a selected movie to the table, discuss it, and give it a final grade. Abby and I are excited to welcome our guest today, Mr. William R. Perry. Mr. Perry has had an interesting and ever-evolving international career spanning more than three decades. He has been an actor, both on stage and screen, and has worked as an actor stuntman for many movies you know, including People Under the Stairs, Predator 2, The Lost Boys, Home Alone 2, and many more. Mr. Perry is also a photographer, a web designer, a book narrator, and most recently a published author. His book, By His Hand, is available from Red Cape Publishing. He credits his successful career to determination, hard work, preparation, and a ridiculous amount of Welcome, Mr. Perry. <laughs> All true and and far too glowing. It makes it sound good the way you guys say it. It's like, huh? <laughs> well, like uh, your career's impressive. I'm impressed not just by your volume of work and the things that you've done. I mean, all the different things in your career, but we, I, I've listened to some of your podcasts with other people and read things about you, and you just seem like such a nice, normal guy. <laughs> and like you have taken advantage of opportunities as they've come to you. You know, you just like something popped up and you went with it. The only reason we're, we even have this podcast is because I had the idea of doing something like this and Abby pushed me. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, we're doing it. Otherwise, it would have remained an idea in my head. But mm-hmm. she was the momentum behind getting us going. And we've had so much fun with it. I think uh, Woody Allen said uh, 50% of success is showing up. And Abby pushed me to show up. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of times where I, when people say, how did you get so lucky? It's like, well, luck usually happens when you're working really hard. And mm-hmm. um, I'm a very industrious person. If, if something looks like it's going to happen, I just chase it down. Uh, my wife says I'm not the smartest guy, but I am the most <laughs> determined I am the most uh, persistent. Uh, my mentor in, in computing said, you would pound a nail with a screwdriver. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you like, had available, that, right? That's the tool I had in my Yeah, head. That's the only tool I had. So, yeah, I'm going to find a way to make it work. And I, and I think that's a big part of, uh, of you know, getting new opportunities is being that person who is just willing to try, willing to work hard. And willing to listen and follow, you know, whatever, and learn, you know, yeah, and learn and and take it wherever it goes. I wanted to be in movies since I was a little kid. Um, I didn't have any intention of being a stuntman. That wasn't even part of it. I didn't have, I didn't think I had any qualification for it. And then when I started to try to get work as an actor, they said, "You're a, an attractive young man, but you're short. You're just short. You're way too short." <laughs> And, you know, everybody says, well, you know, Tom Cruise isn't uh, that tall. And uh, Michael Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, J- Michael J. Fox is two inches shorter than me. Uh. Um, but he's Michael J. Fox and Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. You're Bill Perry and that ain't happening. <laughs> so at the time, a buddy of mine said, you know, we've got this opportunity to do a stunt. And I thought, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a credit. You know, it'll look good on the resume. And after that, he said, gosh, you're you're just a great double for kids because you don't have the big biceps that a lot of ex-gymnasts who get into stunts, you know, do. And he said, you could double girls, you know, you, uh, you could double boys, you can do all this. And I thought, you know, OK. And then people would just call. Hey, are you available on Wednesday? No audition, no mm-hmm. acting classes necessary. You know, just show up and be willing to do whatever it is they ask you to do. And if it was something I didn't know how to do, I'd call up some of my stuntman friends and go, hey, I got to know how to go through glass by Monday. What's the trick here? And they'd say, "Okay, well, you know, go through, uh, you know, uh, cover your eyes because that candy glass is really sharp. Uh, That's about all you can do. I didn't know it was made of candy. Oh, yeah. Well, it used to be called candy glass because I used to do it out of spun sugar. Uh, the problem with it is sponge sugar isn't very easy to see through. So as time uh, you know, went on it, they started using a resin. And the resin is much more like real glass um, in many ways. One of them is it's very, very sharp. And so when oh, you go through the glass, you're going to get cut. Get used to the idea you're going to get cut. It's not going to be deep. <laughs> I know this sounds horrible. It's not going to be deep, but you're going <laughs> to get glass you know, stuck in your arm. Um, it's very fragile. So unlike real glass, it just bang, it's just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is sharp. And so when you go through these windows, people go, oh, it's just candy glass. Yeah, is it? 
go for that. <laughs> tell me how <laughs> tell me how that turns out for you. Because I still have scars uh, from you know the glass going into my hands, going into my oh. face, um, in in places. You know, it's again, it's not real uh, deep usually. Um, when we did uh, license to drive, I go through a window and I just stuck it, and it went right into a vein. Oh boy! Uh, good, a good buddy of mine, uh, Lee Waddell, who was Ghostface in Scream. Uh, he's also an emergency medical technician, and he just happened to be there uh, to take some pictures for me as we were doing the stunt. And he's like, uh, you're bleeding quite a bit. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to get on my wardrobe. And so he had some crazy glue. And so we pulled out the, <laughs> the thing, and he crazy glued it shut. Okay. And we did it again, and we did it again. And another 15 minutes later. So it's just the kind of thing, you know, when you when you say it out loud, you go, you are stupid. Why are you doing these things? <laughs> You know, but at the time I was just You're supporting young. yourself. Yeah. And I was it was anything for, you know, for the movie industry to, you know, I just wanted to do it so badly. It was the this all consuming passion. And uh, so, yeah, you just did what you needed to do. I was a martial artist. Uh, my brother and I, my brother's a ninth degree black belt now, but uh, we came up together doing martial arts and I was a skateboarder and did a lot of things that kids do. And uh, I don't think of myself as an athlete per se. But there is a lot of athleticism to what you do. You have to be able to hit the ground hard and make it look like it hurt, but hopefully survive it without much damage. And so a lot of what you had to do, I did. You know, I was a, a, a skateboarder, so I'm used to hitting the ground pretty hard. Uh, my brother, uh, being a martial artist, can hit you like a Mack truck. And <laughs> so you learn that when you go flying through the air, when you land, roll. No oh, corners, yeah. you know, don't have mm -hmm. any corners. Every Anything that's going to be a corner is going to break. You wanted to absorb all the energy through the fall. And so uh, the more rolling you did, the less uh, bruising. <laughs> My only knowledge of stunt work in any way before I researched you was, remember the old Burt Reynolds movie yeah. where he was a stuntman? I don't remember the name of it. Oh, gosh, what was that called? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's to me, that was like stunt work. And I was like, that's so dangerous. <laughs> yeah. The most of it, though, at least from my perspective, most of it wasn't that dangerous. It was more about being able to repeat it, make it look good. Um, I mean, I doubled kids. So the, the most drastic things that ever happened to me, I got hit by a meat truck. That was fun. <laughs> Um, went through the window in, in the, that one. But the day-to-day -day stuff was pretty simple stuff. On the Wonder Years, for example, they needed a, a kid to do a slip and fall, kind of like a Home Alone oh, kind of yeah. fall, where it's, you know, it's like like what I call banana peel falls, mm -hmm. where it's, whoa, you know, and you got to land on your back. Um, not difficult to do per se, but you got to do it without getting hurt. And you may have to do it 10 times. So, And when you cool. say do it without getting hurt, though, it doesn't mean it didn't hurt. You just had yeah. to not injure yourself. Yeah. You think of it like if you were a professional football player and you get out there and, you know, you play a game, do you expect to come home with some bruises? Well, of course. I mean, that's part of the game. And that's kind of like what stunts is. Um, you don't want to be hurt, hurt. But if uh, when I talk about getting cuts and things like that, if that actor got cut, well, now he's got a, a scar, you know, in the oh. beautiful face. That's no good. Plus, even if they just got a, a bruise, um, that has to heal before they can shoot again. And that may be days, if not weeks. And that means everybody gets everybody's out of work until that that actor, you know, looks presentable again. And so they often will not let the the good looking, you know, movie stars do their stunts, not because they can't do it, but because even if they just broke a finger, even if they just got a bruise, well, that means they gotta stop until they're healed. And so it's just safer and faster and cheaper to bring in a stuntman. If he gets a bruise, well, you know, that's, what? that's part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so who I... cares, right? Yeah, you know, who cares? Uh, but, and they do care, but it's just, yeah, that's what you're there for. So like when we did Home Alone 2, I had to do a, a, a big Bugs Bunny kind of, blam, and hit the ground. And, and you got to, you know, you just got to, I call it Bugs Bunny because nobody ever gets hurt in Bugs Bunny. You know, yeah. they, may, they get, you know, they get blasted with a dynamite and then they just turn black and then you know they wipe off all the soot and off they go um so they i had to do one of those and it was on a marble floor oh. and i was oh, god please let there be something in his wardrobe <laughs> that is would mask the pads that i really must wear and fortunately he was wearing a jacket you know 
So I got to be able to do it without having too much damage. But we had to do it a couple of times. And in Home Alone, you know, it really needs to be as cartoony and big. Uh, if you know, if you're going to do a, a pratfall and you're going to land on your back, it, it really they really want it to look like it hurt. So you got to get up as high as you can do, get those feet up, get those hands up, and land right on your spine. Exaggerate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and you got to be able to do it <clears throat> in such a way that you don't hurt yourself, so that you can do it again and again and again until they feel like. Well, he says cut. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So you have to do it just right for them to be like, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And and you may be the one, you may have done it right, but the guy next to you didn't get it right. Oh, so gosh. now you got to do it again until they get it right. Everybody in the shot has to have it right. The lighting's got to be right. No, no weird reflections. And it may not be my fault that we go again, but got to go again. And so when, especially when, you know, I talk to kids, I, I, I do like career day at my daughter's school and, uh, they say, you know, we want to talk to you about doing stunts. And I always get a, a huge crowd of kids because they want to find out what it's like to do it. And I'm like, don't. Yeah. Don't even <laughs> think about it. This is not a career for anybody that has uh, anything else they could do. Oh. <laughs> I mean, really. You know, because Well, and I say that meaning um, when I decided I wanted to be in movies, and I have to say a teacher changed my life. I even get emotional just thinking about it. I remember my high school teacher, Jim O'Kleshen. If you're out there, Jim, you're the man. He, <laughs> I, he said to me, you know, what do you want to do when you get done with high school? I said, I don't know. And he said, you should go into acting. And I said, oh, man, that's impossible. And he's like, why do you think it's impossible? I said, you know, even just getting your union card is such a, an ordeal. And I remember he reached into his pocket and he pulled out his union card. He was a SAC oh. member. And he was the first person I ever met that had one. And I'm like, yeah, he said, you could do this, Bill. Don't don't give up. And that was it. I was done. I knew then what I was going to do. And it happened 15 years later. I'm in a grocery store in downtown L.A. And there he is. There's Jim O'Kleshen. And I go, Jim, oh, my gosh. And I give him a hug. And he says, I, well, actually, I said Mr. O'Kleshen. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, you called him Jim? <laughs> yeah. He says, he says, you can call me Jim. I said, no, nah, that's never going to No, happen. never. And so, you know, gave me a big hug. And he's like, what do you do now? And I said, I'm an actor. And he goes, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I said, no. And he goes, what made you think you could do it? Said, you. You did. <laughs> and he says, how did I do that? I said, do you don't remember this conversation where you showed me your union card? He goes, sorry, I, I don't remember that. I'm like, it changed my life. Yeah. I mean, oh, my it, gosh. It was everything. You know, it was everything to me. And he's like, oh, my gosh. He said, you, you got to come to this new school. And he was working in this inner city, very, very kind of scary uh. environment. And he's like, you got to meet these kids. Their hearts are so full of art, Bill. They're just, oh. you know, they're just the best. And I'm like, same old Mr. O'Kleshen. Aww. You're the same guy that I that that took me, you know, under your wing and and just changed my entire world. And uh, I, I to this day, I mean, I I remember his name and Alan Brin. Alan Brin was the other guy. These two <laughs> teachers just were these guides into being an artist and in guides into being to following, you know, whatever that passion was. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do this. Never know the influence you have as a teacher. Oh. Um, you make an yeah. impression even when you don't realize it. Like you yeah. made such an impression on you, and but to oh. him, the moment wasn't what it was for you. Yeah, and when I grew up, uh, I was a, a one of five boys to a single parent mom, and so uh, the male influences the the guys who were like, no, this is this is what it means to be a grown up, you know, and a man. This is what you this is what your your life is going to be. You have to do these things this way. This is how you're going to you know succeed in life. For me, that was you know obviously life changing, and uh, and I will remember those guys to this day. When I decided I wanted to be uh, a teacher myself, uh, that was where I want to be the the Jim O'Kleshen and the Alan Brin to uh, somebody in my life. And my daughter now is about eight, uh, eight or so months away from becoming a teacher herself. Oh my oh, gosh, wow. congratulations. Yeah. yeah, and I said to her, what made you want to do this? And she said, well, there were a couple of teachers in my life. And I'm like, yeah, I had those teachers, you know, that just, that that taught in ways that just encouraged you to come out uh, of this, you know, little shell you tend to be in, wanting to be popular, wanting to be this, mm -hmm. wanting to be that in high school, and said, no, you are just, perfectly fine the way you are. Let's take those gifts that you have 
and take them and then let's see if there's a job that fits your gifts. Mm-hmm. And then if you can find the job that fits your gifts and then really get good at it, you know, go to school, learn to be really good at that thing that takes advantage of those natural uh, inclinations and gifts and passions that you have, then work doesn't feel like work quite so much. I mean, it's always work, but it's taking advantage of things you're already good at. And so you feel good at it. You feel like you're an imposter because you're already good at something when I don't, I just, I'm not, this doesn't feel like it's that hard to me. It's like, that doesn't mean it doesn't work. And that doesn't mean you're not really good at it. You're just taking advantage of those, those things about yourself that are, you know, just good for this particular trade or this particular kind of work. And that's, that's, I think, the key to really being happy and successful in your work is that you're taking advantage of things that are already about you, you know, that just you didn't have to develop. They just part of who you are. And I think the best teachers bring that out in their students when they can. You know, the kids have to participate, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. You must participate. I, I pattern my teaching, um, style after my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Rosser. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I hear her coming out of my mouth. Horowitz was, <laughs> was fifth yours? Grade, same guy, <laughs> you know, but I, I never thought of myself as a writer as much. Uh, I do some writing like marketing materials, which is kind of like a eh, lie, but don't make it sound like a lie. And when I decided to do the book, uh, this publisher that I had talked to said, why don't you write it? And I said, oh, man, I'm not a writer. And then I wrote it, and he, uh, I, I took it to a friend of mine who uh, teaches writing at Santa Monica College here in Los Angeles. And he said, what draft is this? I said, oh, was I supposed to do drafts? I hate doing drafts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he goes, this is the first thing you've ever written? And I said, yeah. Is it bad? And he's like, dude, this is ready to roll. I'm like, really? And he said, send it to the publisher. So I sent it to the publisher, and he said, is this the first thing you've ever written? I said, yeah. And he goes, dude, you're a writer. I'm like, really? I thought I was just going to get pages and pages of notes and I'd be totally discouraged. And right. I'd just, I'd just blow it off, you know? And he's like, no, no you would have kept at it even if that had been. The I don't know. Um, I don't do well with criticism. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I mean, I can take some. But it's it was one of those things where uh, I just thought, well, we'll throw it out there. You know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll throw it on the wall. We'll see if it sticks. And uh, I, I thought it was a good story, and I thought it was kind of unique, and it was really emotionally affecting to me to write. So I thought that's kind of like what acting does for me. And I know my best work as an actor um, makes me feel something very, very strong. And I, and it, you can't help but show it in your face, and you can't help but show it in your words because you're feeling the feelings that that character is going through. And so in writing the book, I was just crying. Um, I oh won't gosh, tell any. Yeah. I won't tell you why, and people who read the story will know why. And I just, I walked away for a few days because I just couldn't go through imagining that scene again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was. I I've had vivid dreams similar, um, yeah. concerning somebody. But I wake up so upset to think that you sat down and you wrote it out. I'm like, no, I just don't want to think about it again. Oh. Yeah, and it was so vivid. And I, my wife is a psychologist, and uh, as I was the morning that after I had the dream, I was describing it to her, which we will sometimes do. And she's like, Mm-mm, "No more." I don't want to hear don't that. About, don't want to hear about it. So, um, did I she read it enough? No, she can't. Oh, and my, okay. da- my daughter can't either. They both they know the story enough to go, mm, "No thanks." Um, but when I when I wrote it, my my wife had said to me, "Do you want to know where this comes from?" You know, oh, being a <laughs> oh, I do because I have those kind of dreams. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> so. and she and she said, "You're afraid of uh, passing away the the way the mom your mom did." And I, as when I heard that, you know, mind blown. And she said, uh, "And I," she said, "Does that help you?" And I said, "It does because now, what was the logical end to this story, is informed by knowing that." So mm. uh, in the dream, I faced. The, the worst things I could possibly imagine. And I know we all have those dreams where, you know, but this made sense in a weird, twisted kind of horror movie way. And I remember thinking, oh, now I know how it ends. You know, and it really, <laughs> you know, and when I wrote it, my friends who, you know, who read it said, so much of this is you. And I said, yeah, they go, Am I Emerson? I'm like, yeah, sorry, dude. You're Emerson. Like, <laughs> dude, you did me wrong. <laughs> sorry, man. And uh, 
so so much of it is real that my friends who know me are like, dude, all of that's real. The pain in my hands and the not being able to play guitar anymore. And so much of it is is so very vivid to me and very real that as I was writing it, I just couldn't do it. I had to change everybody's names. Mm -hmm. um, at, and at one point um, I was writing it and I, I had to change it back to there being their real names because the more real it was to me, the more vivid the writing became. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, I changed them out again. Yeah, yeah. You weren't removed uh, from it. Yeah. And when I read the audiobook, once again, I just found myself just overcome with emotion. I couldn't go through it again. And so I had to stop. I think yeah. I read it four times before I came to a, a version that I felt did the story justice without being so emotionally involved in it that it sounded fake to the mm -hmm. viewer or the viewer, the listener. And so uh, there was a real challenge to that because I just didn't want to relive it again. I think I did it justice. Uh, people who've listened to it have said, it's very real and I can hear the emotion in your voice. This affected you very much. And I said, yeah, that's why I had to do it myself. I didn't want to give it to another reader who hadn't lived it through, you know, who hadn't seen mm -hmm. it before. Because when I watched this as a dream, I watched it like a movie. I was involved in it, but still away from it. And I remember just, to this moment, I mean, I can just, I can think about that scene and just my heart just breaks and my, the emotions start to cry. Again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of left it. And when people told me they enjoyed it, I'm like, well, I'm glad, but I didn't. <laughs> it's a hard thing to say you enjoyed because it's very, um, very emotional, very affecting. And, and maybe there's that cathartic sort of thing that comes out of a, out of a book that you felt. Uh, mm -hmm. It's hard to say enjoyment. And I've been reading audiobooks for a few years now. I have a publisher in England who uh, sends me these books that are called The A to Z of Horror. And so the first book was, uh, what was it, A? I didn't do A, but B was Beasts, C was Cannibals, D was Demons, E is Exorcisms. <laughs> uh, and we do all of these books. And there's 13 stories by 13 different authors from around the world. And... Uh, so I will read these 13 stories for each book. And so I really got a sense of the, the vibe of how yeah. to read these things. And I read them cold. I don't read the book in advance. I read it. Oh, you know, I record it as I go. Really? I think as okay. an actor is a really cool challenge, but also that story affects me the way I hope it affects the reader because I'm experiencing it for the first time too. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> Do you ever gasp? Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's times I'll read it and go, Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you know, hit the pause button, do it again, because I know that I was, you know, I can't use every single take, but I go, I go through them because I want to read it like the reader reads it, or I want to, you know, I want them to feel it with that sense of uh, surprise and shock and whatever that, you know, goes on with that book. So that's a, a, that's a fun acting experience. People get, but a cold reading for in an hour? It's like, yeah. yeah <laughs> Have you, <laughs> you started know, the it. sequel yet? Yes, I okay. have. Uh, it's another one of those things that I don't want to do in a sense, because I really have to put myself in the, um, just to give you the opener uh, of it, it's a year later. And uh, this character is waking, sort of waking up in a sense in the hospital and it starts all over again. And yes. um, he had, but he's been left alone for a solid year. No one talks to him. No one puts on the radio, no television, no food. Um, you know, he has to be fed through a tube. Oh, yeah. so oh, a tube. He has had no interaction with another human being for a solid year. What does that do to you? And it's not good. <laughs> and so uh, he's, he's crazy. Is it the same um, entity or is it uh, just his own mind? Well, we don't know. I guess I don't well, ask we'll have to find Th out. That's that's the really fun part of it. A buddy of mine, uh, uh, a mentor of mine from the past, read the book and he said, so what was it? What was it? Was it a demon? Is he possessed? Is he crazy? I know what I think, Bill. I want to know. I yeah, what the true answer is. Yeah. I want to know definitively. And I said, not going to tell you. Yeah. And he's like, why? And I said, I don't want to ruin it for you. And he's like, no, just tell me. I'm like, I can't do that. He goes, well, in the second book, do you do you tell me? And I said, I give you reasons to believe both. I like that the person at the end of the book is very unsettled. You know, the reader, I mean. Is yes, very unsettled. so unsettled. Yeah, and it's like, um, what happened, though? It's like, that's 
that's the point of horror sometimes is to leave you with what I, I there's something we call the Scooby-Doo ending. You know, at the end of every Scooby-Doo you know, cartoon, well, it was Mr. McGregor and I'd have gotten away with it too <laughs> if it wasn't for you meddling kids. You know? I don't want this, the, the expected ending. I want you to go, what the hell? What just happened? Yeah. And so the second book um, has a lot of that. It, it, it opens up the book to so many new questions and so many new horrors and so many new <laughs> uh, things that, that leave you, you know, kind of shaking in your boots going, why? What is going on? You know, that's that's what I, that's the feeling I want you to come away with. And I hope I establish it. And I and I hope you care about the characters enough that I can unsettle you and I can make you care about these people and I can make you horrified and I can make you scared because you won't care about these people if I can't make you care. I can't I can't scare you if I can't make you care about the people. You know, that's uh, horror movies, especially, you know, really bad ones are slash and spatter for people you don't care mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. So so you watch them and maybe that's why I hated it. Insidious. <laughs> oh, really? Because yeah. I didn't care about anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the hereditary was when. Um, oh, yeah. Didn't work that was me. shocking. That one killed yeah, me. That, that one was, was so hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, um, yeah, I just I need to care about the people. If you know, in a lot of horror movies, they give you the bad guy character and he just, you know, he's going to die and you know, it's going to yeah. be the most gruesome of everybody. So it's like the expendable character on Star Trek, you know. It's the, the it's like, I've never seen that guy in the deck before. Yeah, you've never seen him before. You're never going to see him again. Bye-bye. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, I, I don't want you to feel like that with any character that I do, uh, even in the movies, you know, and things like that. If there is a character to play, you want the person to care. Even like uh, Alan Rickman is a great example from uh, uh, Die Hard. You love the guy. He's horrible. He's murderous. But uh, he's such a great character to watch. You know, you just... You, and he's good at like, what he does. Yeah, you like him, and he's and he's so confident, and he's so good at what he does that yeah, uh, yeah, you know he's gonna you know lose in the end because it's a good guy movie, you know, versus a bad guy movie. But still, he's 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 taken down by the very things you like him for his uh, anti-hero. Any release date for the sequel to the book? I haven't quite finished writing it. Um, uh. I've, but my publisher's like, here's what we're gonna do. I've got it all ready to go, you know. So he's ready to to publish it as soon as I'm. I've got it done. Oh. I've just found myself incorporating a lot of new, real life things into the book, um, things that are going on right now, even as we speak, uh, with uh, family that are um, that's gonna make the book desperately sad. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, when I when I think about it, I I put the notes down and went, oh, that's gonna kill, that's gonna be literally, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah uh, just things that are gonna really uh, affect you emotionally because it's like, oh no no no, not them, and uh, it's gonna be very hard to write, and so I do avoid it to a certain extent. I don't know how Stephen King does this stuff. <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> because he just writes, you know, volumes and volumes week after week. He just, you know, he's got a new book two, three times a year sometimes. But uh, for me, this is a very personal experience. And I think that's a good thing. I want it to be affecting to me if it can make me emotional. And I hope that that translates and makes the the person that I, that's that's reading it emotional, because that connection is what makes them want to read more. You know, people have told me this is one of the more disturbing books I've ever read. Is there another? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true. Yeah. Well, we want to be scared. So. Yeah. yeah. It's like hot sauce. You know, people tell me your hot wings are too hot. I'm like, well, you've eaten 20 of them. <laughs> yeah. You said that you avoid writing it, but do you make yourself, do you say, I'm going to write for two hours every day? I mean, do you give, are you disciplined like that? I try to be when I really get my, when I have the time and, and time has been uh, really short lately. Um, when I have the time, I say write for at least one hour. Um, I'm a very fast writer. Once I got it, once I know what I'm going to do, I can write as fast as I can think. Um, the arthritis that I talk about in the book is real, unfortunately. And so I'm a very slow typist anymore. I used to be about 50 words a minute. Now I'm about 30. Um, and it does slow me down. Um, and somebody said, well, can't you voice text it? 
It's like, no, because the writing process, the keyboard is a very, very distinctive part of my writing process because I can write only so fast. And so that slowing me down makes sure that I'm choosing my words very carefully. Um, I think of myself as a bit of a wordsmith. I love word games. I love, you know, uh, wordplay. I'm a pun. I mean, as a dad, oh. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, perfect. Jokes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have to apologize to them constantly. Um, but yeah, wordplay is a big deal. And and I somebody had said to me when they uh, the, the guy who teaches writing said, what you do with words is not common among first time writers. And, mm-hmm. and there's a scene I'll just touch on very quickly where there's a woman who uh, has fallen to the ground and uh, grandma, the old lady. Yeah. Oh, and, that one was uh, hard for me. Yeah, well, he as he's as he's walking away, she reaches towards him, and uh, in the book I had written that he crushes her fingers with his foot, like he's stamping out a cigarette, and that really screwed up some people, because they said the idea of cigarettes. Where did that come from? I said I hate cigarettes. My mom smoked, and it's part of what killed her. So the idea that that he's he looks at her as this piece of garbage, mm-hmm. and he's. You know, he 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 causes her this in, intense amount of suffering with the same level of uh, indifference that you would crushing a cigarette on the ground. Oh, it just resonated in my gut. I could taste it. Yes. You know, <laughs> and so I felt like he said that's the kind of thing most writers uh, that are new they don't think about that touch and feel and taste and smell. Sensory. Kind of, yeah, sensory. The metaphors when they write. Yeah. Picking the one that really, go, oh. That's so distasteful. That's horrible. Thank you. <laughs> Do you Thank feel you. like your <laughs> wife and your daughter and your friends and other family look at you a little differently after well, this first e- little novelette? I mean, do they do they like what's <laughs> really going on in your head? <laughs> like, like, well, Bill, I'm not eating your pastries. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, and the people from my church group who read it uh, are also like. How often does this go on in your mind? I'm like, you know what? It was a one-time thing, but now it's now that I'm sort of <laughs> oh no, you've it, released it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, release the kraken. Um, I, I look at it as uh, it's a new since I can't play guitar anymore. A guitar was a big part of my life. I'm not a good guitar player, but it, I'm the happiest guitar player you ever met. And since I can't Bob Ross play, painting. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I look. I mean, I had told people I play because I like it, not because I'm good at it. Um, uh, that's been taken away from me in a sense. And so photography and writing have taken the place of that because there's this sense of wanting to express myself in a way that's just very satisfying. And guitar did that. uh, Photography does that. Writing does that. So since that thing is sort of on the back burner or is not really going to be a part of my you know, ability to express myself in an artistic fashion, this has really taken over. And the encouragement of getting the very first thing I ever wrote published right. is oh, totally, out of control. Out yeah, of control. I mean, with not I, one I, rejection letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I was I was on a podcast with a guy for just for writers, and there's a guy uh, he calls himself Broke Writer Dave, and he said, "So uh, first thing, huh?" I said, hey, <laughs> I said, "I'm so sorry," and he goes. Oh, Dude, I'm not. That's the thing. First draft. I, yeah, I said I didn't do this to piss you off, but I'm, and I'm sorry that it did. But uh, yeah, you know. Tell him there uh, were some punctuation errors. There was three <laughs> commas. Yeah. There you go. Commas. Oh wow. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I hate to say it, but yeah, I, th- it's what I hope is an undiscovered talent that uh, I can use down the line. Not necessarily for you know, like to become some major writer, but because it's just a you know a creative uh, outlet. Yeah. I mean, it's something you can do completely by yourself. You don't, I mean, I can do it on a, on an iPad or I can do it on my computer. I can do it on my phone if I want to. And when I'm, when I'm driving, sometimes I'll go, Oh, I just had the most horrible idea. And I'll I'll dictate it into my phone just as notes. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Remember this for next time because I don't have a great memory. That's funny that you write it down. I have a horrible idea. And I'm like, why would you think that? (laughs) What's wrong with you? And I, 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 I would love to tell you this one detail that it's, it's coming but in, but can. I can't. Okay. Uh, but it, but it was, uh, we'll read it. Yeah. And when it came, when I, when it happened to me, it was like, you are one sick puppy, dude. That is so horrible. What makes you think these things? You know? And it's like, I'm like the second side of me that, uh, is, isn't funny. 
your alter you know, ego. Not, yeah, you know, <laughs> but but I I think uh, like uh, you know you hear a lot about stand-up comedians are oftentimes very dark, uh, very mm-hmm. tortured souls, and the comedy is a coping mechanism. I think that I'm a very funny person uh, that has this darker side that says, you know, you've got some unresolved anger, you've got some unresolved bitterness. Let it come out here. You know, that's your wife fun. talking. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, do it in your writing, not in real life, please. But but I think it's a chance to to delve into uh, subject matter that I find challenging, um, but fun in its weird way. I mean, now when somebody tells me they enjoyed the book, oh, really? I created something that really affected you in a way. You know, when I listen to music, I get that. Somebody can write a song that just will just remind me of a particular point in my life or mm-hmm. just really touched a, a, a raw nerve. And it just is so satisfying. And you're like, oh, what a great song. You know, and you can listen to it a hundred times and it still has that effect every single time. I want to give that to somebody. I want to find that there's something that I did that can do that for someone else. Now, I know you want this to be made into a movie. Is that already possibly in the works? I, you have a lot of contacts in the industry. Yeah. Um, one of the people, there's a, an app called Chilling. Uh, that yeah, the Chilling. On. I downloaded it to read, to you? read your book. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh. Uh, so many great writers. Uh, and one of the finance uh, people on that is uh, a movie star that I happened to be introduced to recently uh, who did some horror films. And he said, you know, we're, I don't know that this is a full film yet. He said, maybe with part two, this is a full film. He said, yes. um, we're doing short form video for chilling uh, that we're going to start bringing out, you know, as time goes by. He said, we've got some budgets now. They've got new sponsors. And he said, we will, you know, would you be willing? I'm like, gosh, would I be willing to have a production? <laughs> like, Let me think about it for, yeah, for a quarter of a second. I said, oh, absolutely. And, and I said, um, I'd love to be cast in it oh. because um, as yourself, as got, yeah, as, as an actor, okay. um, when I was young and stupid, um, I went into some great auditions. I auditioned for Stanley Kubrick um, for Full Metal Jacket, and I should have got that part, except that I wasn't ready for it. I'm in the room and there's Tom Cruise and Matthew Modine and you know Sean Penn in the same room with me. And I was like, I do not oh. belong in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I am way. Let me close my, my head. jaw. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that's why I didn't get it. I was not at their at their level, um, and I and I gave probably a very B plus at, uh, at best uh, audition for that, because to me it was a career maker break. Yeah. What it should have been was, okay, this is a very important character, and this is what he's going through. And this is what his life is. And this is what this moment in his life is all about. And how would you react if that was you, Bill? That's what I should have been doing. What I was doing was, oh, my gosh, you know, major film, blah, blah, you know, major role. I'll be a movie star. Everything I ever wanted. That that's not what you you got to be in an audition for a role like that. You got to be thinking about the role, not about what it's going to mean to you. But it was it was just impossible. It's still an exciting thing. Oh, yeah. And a great moment and a, and a great memory. But, um, you know, a memory of an opportunity I wasn't prepared for, you know, a little bit of regret, uh, not even so much regret. Just look back on it and go, yeah, that could have changed things if I had. Yeah. Been. Like, and now as an older guy, um, especially having kids of my own, um, my em- emotions are right there. It mm-hmm. takes, I, yeah, I can I, I did a, a film for a USC uh, film student um, and she had said to me, um, this moment is make or break. This guy is so upset. He's about to, he's about to kill someone. He's so jealous and so enraged. And so I'm in the car on the way down there getting ready for this audition. And I find myself, my skin is just red. And I've got this adrenaline pump like I'm about to kill somebody. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm blowing it. I'm right here in the car. I need to, I need to do <laughs> need this. need to save like, it. Yeah. I need, yeah. I get there and I'm in the hallway getting ready to do the audition and there it came again. And I was right there again in that moment. And again, my skin's flushed out everything that you would want. And uh, I thought, I can't do this a third time. And I, <laughs> and I went in for the audition and there it was. 
Uh, same emotion, same feeling. The physical part of it was so real. And afterwards, she said, can you do that again? I said, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, now you can. <laughs> I, can. I can. And it was the first audition I'd had in 25 years. Oh. And all of a sudden, acting was, was much more effortless than it had ever been because I have access to these emotions that were just so very real. And I thought, damn. Where was this when I needed it in front of Stanley Kubrick or Steven Spielberg well, it's, or whoever? It's experience. Yeah, yeah. Experiences experience. in life, yeah. And so now I would love to do By His Hand. And the second book, by the way, is called Out of His Mind. Oh, uh, which, I see. Which, which is uh, some wordplay. I'll just let you know ah. that. Uh, <laughs> I would love to do it because it's very real for me. Who could, who could imagine it better than the guy who wrote it and the guy and the author that's it. right yeah that lived through it and uh i would love to have my daughter cast <gasps> oh yeah but she won't know. even read the book she'll <laughs> read the she script would, <laughs> she would do it she would do it for this and she's a very good actress my daughter is a, a great singer as well has no real interest in using it as a as a profession which thank god uh she didn't want yeah. to do it as a profession i would hate to put anybody through that um, but, uh, I would love it. It would be so, uh, real. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know Ugh. how I'd get through it, but I would. Uh, yeah. So it'd be yeah. great. Probably. Yeah. Uh, we had both auditioned to do uh, diary of Anne Frank and I was auditioning for Mr. Frank and she was going to audition for, uh, for Anna. And I thought, Oh my word, this would be, because we have that relationship that mm -hmm. we have in the play. And it's, a, of course, one of the, the great pieces of theater you could ever do. I ended up getting a uh, part and she didn't. Um, she was just too cute. Anne's got to be gawky. And Kate is just gorgeous. She's stunningly pretty. Uh, Physically just, didn't fit Not the just role. saying it as a dad. She really is. And they, that's what they said is, you know, she's so bubbly and vivacious and confident. That's not, uh, that's not. Is on. this the daughter that's going to be a teacher? Yes. Yeah. So anyway. She'll be great. Was, uh, yeah. I remember telling yeah. someone who said they didn't understand why I was so tired at the end of the day. And they said, you're just a teacher. And I said, it's like being on stage yes. for eight hours a day. Yes. And you're just on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and, that her bubbly personality will serve her well. Yeah. And and uh, in my own, I, I did uh, uh, some special ed teaching for a, a short period for about three years. And um, I was very in touch with that sense of not performing, but making sure I presented material in mm -hmm. a way that was affecting, something that would, would you know, stick with them. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted the things that I said to mean something to them. And it was very much a part of uh, lesson planning was, how do I make this not just educational, but something that's going to, you're going to think about this when this moment oh, happened. Memorable. Um, part of my job was to teach uh, the kids how to get their first job. Okay. And I worked uh, at three different high schools here in Simi Valley, uh, California. And the role was that I would bring these kids in. I would talk to them about what would be their ideal job. And then I would go out and find an employer who would give them at least 90 days. I think it was 90 days. 90 days experience doing that job. And uh, my goal was to have uh, 10 kids a year and get three of them jobs. And uh, I loved that job. And I had 37 kids uh, my first year and 12 of them had jobs. And okay. people are like, what on earth are you doing? And I'm like, I just, I want this. I want this for them so bad. You know, <laughs> I want them to, I don't want them to graduate to mom's couch, you know, exactly. I want them to have a real life and I have want a life. them to be able to find something and feel good about what they do. And part of it was I spent a lot of my life out of work uh, as an actor. <laughs> and so I would go out and take every temp job I could get. I'd work for four or five different employers at the same time. So I'd always have work to do, but I could always leave and go do my acting okay. jobs. And there was about six months where I was out of work. A long time. A, I haven't been out of work for six months since I was 14 years old. Um, being a, a child of a single parent, I got my I got a job as soon as I could because I wanted to make, I didn't want my mom to have to make all the money. I didn't want to have to get an allowance. She got five kids to take care of. So I was out there working. And there I was for six months. And I was depressed. I was so, nobody wants me. You know, nobody wants me anymore. It was 50 
52 years old. Oh, I thought this was going to be when you were young. <laughs> okay. No, no. Okay. So I'm 52 years old and no one cares about Bill Perry anymore. And even though I had all this professional experience, nobody wanted me. And I just remember going, you know, in front of that computer every day and, and making the calls and, and still nothing. And then when I got the job working for the school district and they said, you're going to teach these kids, um, I didn't know initially that it was special ed kids. And <laughs> when I found out, I was like, oh, is some portion of my population special ed? They said, your entire population is special ed. It's like, mm -hmm. oh. They said, do you still want this job? And I said, before it was a job. Now it's a mission. Yes. Um, it becomes because, different. Because the thing was, those kids' entire lives are that six months that I'd experienced. Here I am, a perfectly capable, educated guy, and nobody wanted me. What if you were a perfectly educated 18-year-old and you're, you're afraid that your disability is going to, you know, keep you from getting a job or getting anything meaningful. Their whole lives were that six-month period. And all of a sudden, I was like, no, we're doing it. This is on, baby. And so um, somebody had asked me, how do you get so many kids jobs? And I said, I walk into the employer and I go, I have a kid who would really love a job here. And this is who they are and this is what they can do. I'd like to bring them in for an interview. And they said, you walk into an employer, you just walk in unannounced, no appointment necessary. And I said, of course, what else would you do? And they're like, you got some chutzpah there, boy. Um, <laughs> I, I would be terrified of doing that. I'm like, it's how it gets done. And, mm -hmm. and so that same sense of, oh, my gosh, if you just knew who this kid was, you'd hire him. And so chance. I found jobs for those kids that matched their their particular like I had a girl that was a lovely young lady who loved old people, just loved the grandparents, loved anybody that was older. Mm -hmm. And so I got her a job working at an old folks home. And Perfect. she was an, act an activities director. She loved it. And they loved her because she brought so much energy into the room. And she was this sweet kid who would listen to the same story from that Alzheimer's patient who <laughs> told the same yeah. story 12 times a day. And she loved it. That was for her. That was comfort for her. Are you still people, in touch with those kids? I, I see them on Instagram and things. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be creepy and, you know, follow them. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I know the teachers who work with those kids and I, and I will, you know, from time to time check in with the parents that uh, I was friends with. And there was just something about that. How great is that? What a great day when you've got a kid who found a job. I mean, one of my kids went to work for a grocery store and, um, I went to talk to the employer and I said, so how's he working out? And she said, I asked him to go out and get carts every hour. And he came up to me and she said, uh, would you go get carts? He said, oh, I just did it. She said, you did it without my asking? He said, I put a reminder in my phone because I didn't think it was something that you needed to concern yourself with each day that you needed to tell me to go do my job. So I put a reminder in there and I just did it. <laughs> Tears awesome. running down. I know. Face. Yes. And proud not teacher. A, yeah. Not a work ethic you, know, you run across very often. Well, and I told her, I said, you know, she said, what do you teach these kids? I teach them gratitude, mm -hmm. you know, because if you, I don't care if you're not the best at your job, if you're doing your best and you have a sense of gratitude that you have a job and that someone is taking the time to teach you and employ you, that's a big deal. And so she said, if this is a special ed kid, give me a hundred of them. She said, he's never, he's never on his phone. He's never, he always <laughs> shows up, he always shows up 10 minutes early and he always stays 10 minutes late to make sure that he's ready for work and that his job is done. And I said, that's what a good employee does. She goes, I know, but nobody does it. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? not anymore. Yeah. I told my kids, I said, uh, most people do 80% of what they're asked, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Do 100% of what you're asked and watch yourself rise through the ranks. And this, this one particular kid whose name I can't, you know, won't say, but she said uh, he became my manager of, um, one, of my, <laughs> one of my departments because he was so fastidious. All he wanted to do was make me happy. You know, and if I told him, can you just make sure that all the labels are facing out? You know, you take a kid who's got, you know, a bit of a, a sort of a OCD yeah. kind of mm -hmm. thing and tell him it would really make me happy. If you would just oh, man. All the, oh, the whole <laughs> story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was his world. And it made him happy. 
and it made her happy, and it made the customers happy. And so she gave him his own division. And, and although he was only supposed to be there for 90 days, he was there for three years and left only because he was moving uh, out of town. She said he loved the job. He was pleasant to work for. All the other people were like, well, you know, I can't be like your little golden child. And it's like, I wish you could because he does his job and he does it well. And so I, I, I mean, I take credit only for finding that there were these certain skills about him that really fed his confidence and fed his sense of, you know, who he was and what he was good at and what he liked to do by giving him a job that required that. And in fact, similar really, to your teacher that saw that in you. Yes. Yeah. Push. Found those, yeah. you know, find those gifts and then give them that job. For him, this was not a, um, some dead end job because it didn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't a dead end job. He was really good at that. And what most people might find eventually got to be boring and, and tedious and repetitious for him was comfort. That repetition was, oh, everything nice and lined up everything all the all the fresh you know all the oldest stuff's at the front so that sells first and i'm like you're board. supposed to <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing lazy about it you know and so uh, that's to me that's that's that was the goal uh and that's why it was such a good thing for me because i feel like i'm a pretty good judge of uh character and i can draw out kids who are maybe a little quiet and find out what makes you happy what would, if you could have any job what would it be you know, and then we try to get realistic, you know, about that. Because some of the kids, you know, and everybody gets to be an astronaut. So, right. you know, that's not what, true. What is YouTuber? YouTubers also, a big we hear one. all the time. We yeah. want to be a YouTuber. Oh, we had that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got that one a lot. <laughs> and one of my kids, um, gosh, I, I don't want to tell too much, but I guess yeah, I can. He was, his uh, goal was to make the world's largest um, foil ball. Okay. Oh, okay. Did he? 600 pounds. <gasps> he got to and he had a he had a youtube channel where he he had millions millions really? of he people watching money. this yeah <laughs> good for him <laughs> and he was the sweetest kid just the kindest and i there would be people who would be so mean and yeah I of said, course how do you and i had to ask him how do you deal with it because i can't i hate oh boy I'm, mm -hmm. I'm as easy, I'm easily activated personally you know somebody says something nasty to me on I'm, I'm gonna chew him out yeah yeah i said i said how do you deal with it he goes their views. And I said, I get paid by views, Bill. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So he said, That's a good, yeah. So it was yeah, perspective. He, said, he goes, you can be a fan or you can be an enemy, um, but you're still- Because you watch. But you're, <laughs> watching, but you're watching me win. Yeah. Yes. And so um, he was making, I don't know, $1,200 a month. Whoa. Uh, YouTube views. Oil ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lucky you. And, and he just smiled all the way, you know, and I don't know how much farther he's gotten since the world record was around 1,200 pounds. So he was only halfway there. No, we're but gonna he, have to look. He, would I know. <laughs> he would sit at his desk and just make uh, he would grab a bag of rubber bands and just make a rubber band ball or post-it notes, whatever it was. He was just that was his thing. Fidgety. And uh, so, yeah. And and building uh, globes. Who knows why, but that was just his uh, his bend. Yeah. Uh, but he made it into something, and he was a very smart kid, very, very scientific. So I'm not sure where he ended up, but I know that he went to a school where they were going to teach him to use the mathematics skill that he had. I was part of a group that did this all over California, and they would just say, you, you are a miracle worker. I said, I don't work miracles. I know the guy who does. Um, mm -hmm. But the <laughs> goal here, uh, what I do isn't a miracle. It's just you have to get outside of yourself. You have to say it's more important that I um, get these kids work than worry about embarrassing myself by mm -hmm. uh, getting chewed out by some local you know, store that wasn't supportive. I found every single, every single person I went to and said, I have a kid who'd love to work here. And they're like, bring it. Mm-hmm. And I and they said, how much do I pay him? I said, oh no no, you don't pay for him. The 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 state does. Uh, it's a oh, job. Uh, wow. And they're like, you pay the you pay the salary? I said, yeah. I mean, you know, for ninety days. And they're like, oh, well, we'll, we'll ten. Pay. Yeah. <laughs> how nice are you? The community was outpour. I mean, it was just the. It, I mean, every day was just one of those. You know, I can't believe yeah. how cool these my this this local community is to support these kids and like. Hey, if I support this kid, I'm supporting the whole community. You know, we're, that's who we are. We want to we want to help any way we can. Well, Maybe that's your next opportunity. You do this same sort of thing, but not under a school district. 
yeah, just open yeah. your own agency. It was such a rewarding thing. And, I, and, and when I left, it was a hard decision. The part of it that wasn't hard is that I went back into marketing, which is what I got my degree in. And the money was three times better. So um, that yeah. made it a little easier. Make- <laughs> That's good, too. That's good, too. <laughs> Gotta say, that didn't hurt. <laughs> well, uh, we're interested. I mean, we're very excited to read the sequel to your book. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And um, I'm, I feel confident it'll be a movie. I would love Possibly that. we will review. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, if it's a movie, yes. We are the first to review well, it for sure. Yeah. It, it would be a good low-budget film in that it's a fairly small cast it's not a huge um there's not a lot of special effects there's nothing spooky um well paranormal activity had a fifteen thousand dollar budget that was it can you believe it yeah Uh, yeah it's got that kind of uh ability to be uh the only thing is uh, and you know again if you've read it you'll understand how do you how do you show that point of view because you know somebody asked me somebody asked me can you put a screenplay to it and i said yeah and they said, uh, do you know how to do that? I said, no. And they said, well, <laughs> but you will learn, I'm sure. They said, what makes you think you know how to write a screenplay? I said, well, what makes me think I know how to write a book? Yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, I'll learn. And so I bought the software and I started writing it. And it's a very interesting writing exercise because in a book you say, he thought to himself. And then you can say whatever he thought. In a, in a screenplay, you don't hear their thoughts. If he doesn't say it, if you don't show it, if you don't hear it, how else do you know? It's a different style of writing because one of the things that I did was when I wanted to illustrate that uh, the the sorrow that he feels about his hands and his inability to play the guitar in the, in the screenplay, he just looks over at his favorite guitar and it's very dusty. And so he walks over and he takes a polished cloth and he just polishes it. I'm guessing you've done that really in life. <laughs> I just, I, I swear to God, it just got me all over again. But uh and and it's not something that's a page in the book, oh, you know. Yeah. It's it's three lines in the uh, you know in the screenplay, because the uh, the visual of it is very easy. He just looks over at the guitar and he just thinks about it, and yeah. he cleans it like he's cleaning, you know, his child. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you and you can see it in the actor's face how how difficult this is to do, and it's just this moment that would be five seconds yeah. you know maybe 10 seconds in a screenplay which is two pages <laughs> you know mm-hmm. of writing yeah. in a, in a, and it's up to the actor to to portray that in a way that's going to you know communicate that um that sense of loss um but it's very easy to do in some ways in other ways it's not um there's a lot of point of view sort of uh, uh action in the in the story how do you do that how do you hear his voice when things are um, not, not yeah. uh, let's just say not under his control. How do you know what he's thinking versus what he's saying? How do you change the voice to be the the sort of disembodied side of him while still maintaining the point of view of the of the protagonist? Because they didn't really interact. No, and so I have a I have a means of doing that, but I'm no cinematographer. Though I did play one on television. Uh, <laughs> and you know yeah. many, I'm sure. <laughs> I do know a few. So, yeah. So um, as I'm, I'm a much better actor and probably even a better writer than I am a director. I only see things from my point of view. Um, whenever I do a, a play or something, I'm always amazed by great directors. Uh, Wes was a great director, of course. And his ability to see everyone's point of view as a character and be able to go to each person and say, Here's where I want you to be as a as a character at this point in the film, and he would communicate this, you know, impossible level of complexity to each person, you know, because he was seeing that character from every point of view. Where I have to say, I uh, it would take me a very very long time to be able to put myself in every character's shoes and then communicate that. And he had an economy of of words that was very very good. Say, okay, I want the camera right here. I want the lighting just so. Uh, use this lens. Use this, 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 this. Make it all happen. And then he'd go to the actors and say, this is where I want you to be at this point. <laughs> and just bang it out. And, you know, make uh, a 90-minute films in 90 days. Yeah. Wow. Abby took a film class, so she's analyzing films as she watches them. But since you've been behind the scenes so much, does it kind of take away from the suspension, suspension. of disbelief mm-hmm. from it? Yeah. 
That's a great question. And and yes and no. If I see somebody I know. Oh, yeah, that would yeah. be difficult. We were watching Ocean's Eleven last night, and uh, I just happened to notice these two bodyguards. I'm like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> uh, but the thing that I'll tell you what the difference is. Um, if you ever see the movie Aliens um, or Alien, uh, Aliens is probably my favorite genre-ish film. And the thing is, when you know that Sigourney Weaver was looking not at some big alien, but she's looking at a tennis ball on the end of a stick. Because yeah. wow. that monster doesn't exist in real time. Mm-hmm. At least. Um, there are some puppetry sort of things, some three-dimensional stuff. But a lot of times there's digital stuff and there's stuff that they're never going to see. So when you watch her and she looks over and the terror fills her eyes and her body and you recognize as an actor, she's looking at a tennis ball. Um, <laughs> That's you know what a great yeah. You know what a great actress she is. However, when I watched that movie, I watched it through my knees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crap. There was one. Now there's a million of them. <laughs> I was, my suspension of disbelief was so long gone. I just love that. And I can watch that movie over and over. If it's five minutes before the end or five minutes from the beginning, I'm watching it. Yeah. Until it's over. No matter where I am in that. No matter what else I had to do for the day. Sorry, honey. I know you're going through childbirth. Alien mom. <laughs> You know, you know what I, you know who you married. So there is that. But then there are sometimes like if I watch movies I was in, mm-hmm. then it's really tough because um, when you do special effects sort of stuff and, and horror films are a lot of that and uh, particularly the stunts, there's a lot of tedium to waiting for something to get done. I may get there at 5 a.m., get into makeup by 7 and sit around until 4 p.m. waiting for my scene to come up. And I have to be ready. Every time, you know, at all times, there's a scene in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, three where this kid is being pulled around like a marionette by the tendons of his arm. Um, Very, very difficult to watch uh, and scary as anything in the film. Um, But watching that be made was like watching paint dry for a week. Oh, really? Oh, just I mean, so, so much work going into it. Great performances, you know, uh, good good special effects, very much practical special effects. So it was just, it probably took four days to make that. For that one scene. Yeah. Wow. So you think about it, this is a scene that's maybe 35, 40 seconds. So wow. you're spent, you, every day you're only getting five to 10 seconds of usable footage. So that's slow. <laughs> and, you know, and so, and when you know how it's done, it just takes something away. It's like knowing how the magic trick is done. If oh, yeah. If you know each and every bit of it, it's not as entertaining unless it's Penn and Teller. Um, you know, where they, <laughs> they show you how it's done and then they do it again and they didn't do yeah, it that yeah. way. So, you know, some parts of that and stuff that I'm in, I look at it and of course, you know, I'm not super hypercritical, but I can look at it and go, you know, you can see the wires. Right. You know, and, you know, Never and see the just, wires. <laughs> Watch, watch Nightmare on Elm Street three. Uh-huh. Watch the scene where the the, the wheelchair. And now I'm gonna see the wires because you said it right. It's all you can see. <laughs> it's the only thing you will ever see ever again. And they're the so obvious. I can't on the wheelchair. Oh, really? okay. You can see my feet dodging the wires. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. And when you see it, when you see it now, it's all you can see. Well, now oh, we have to what? find that yeah, scene yeah. and watch it. And I've talked to some people, and they're like, oh. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is my favorite movie of all time. And I look at it critically and I go, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you see um, the strings on the wheelchair? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but what I learned from it is that um, even though, you know, this is not winning any Oscars or anything, this is a piece of their youth or teen years or whatever years it was in their life where maybe this is the first scary film my dad ever took me to. Or... Um, I, first date I, I went on my house. Yeah, first date. <laughs> or I watched this at home when nobody was around. Uh, it was, you know, it was like a guilty pleasure sort of thing. And although maybe these aren't the finest films in the whole world, they mean something to somebody. And I don't want to take any of that away. And if I can give them something more, you know, by, by sharing something about the film, um, I never tell negative stories about any of this stuff. I have a few, but what, what's the point? You know, um, I they love these films. Why take anything away from that? 
I love talking to people about movies and you guys have a particular, you know, uh, thing because of course you are teachers as well. And I, you know, I, I would say I admire teachers more than any other humans in on the planet yeah. because you do something that cannot be done by just anybody. You know, a lot of people mm -hmm. go into teaching, not a lot of people teach. <laughs> very um, true. Very, very true. It's uh, it's a gift that you give. Well, well, we have enjoyed this so much. Thank you so me much. As well, um, I should I should turn you on to some of my friends that do this too. Uh, please uh, my, do. Yeah. My my buddy Lee is was Ghostface in uh, Scream, and uh, did the opening scene with Drew Barrymore, hmm? which is mm -hmm. just amazing. And some wonderful stories come out of that. And another buddy of mine was uh, Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump. Uh, he was Tom Hanks's double for many years. And you yeah, know, we'll send them our way. Absolutely. They're just, and you know, it's just great to, to talk to folks like you, especially teachers. I mean, like I said, I, I think that's why when I saw uh, uh, you know, your podcast, it was like teachers. Oh, such a soft spot. I love oh, that. and terror. <laughs> and terror. <laughs> Both. Yeah. I know people I look at be... us and like your podcast is about what? Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. And um, be Can't sure wait for the sequel. Yes. Check out his book yes. by his hand. By his hand. And. The plethora the, of movies yeah, that you've been in. Yeah, you can download it on the Chilling app. You can buy it on Amazon. Where where else can you get it? Everywhere. You can't Everywhere. help but get it. Uh, I, oh, okay. I just got an email uh, this week that there's another publisher that's going to be uh, putting it out, a place called Godless Books. Or no, God, oh. sorry, Godless godlesshorrors.com oh my goodness your church yeah. group is gonna love that <laughs> I wasn't uh, yeah but, but but I love hearing that people liked it so if you do end up reading it please let me know go on to okay. uh, uh, web webs craven on uh, Instagram uh, or go to William R Perry stunts.com and just tell me what you thought I I love it even if people didn't like it I love hearing what they didn't like because usually yeah. the part they didn't like is the part I went yeah they hated that part <laughs> <laughs> oh right exactly oh true true yeah <laughs> if I true. know that's what screwed you up I know I've I've my job here is done thank you Join us for our next assignment where we will visit the subgenre of terror at sea with the movies Ghost Ship and Triangle. Do your homework! <laughs>